Hello, Savvy listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Savvy Girls Podcast. I'm Deborah, and I'm podcasting to you from New York, New York. Melanie is currently in Prague. She has been traveling like crazy. She went to Brunei. She went to Sudan. Oh my goodness, she went to Sudan. She went to Paris. Now she's in Prague. And I don't even know where else she's going, but I told her that I had so much stuff to talk about that I would I would do this episode, and so unfortunately, savvy listeners, you're stuck with me and just me in this show. But I promise I have a lot to say, so um, hopefully you like it. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what's up with me, we're going to talk about my knitting and my sewing and my celebrity sighting and future progress, oh my goodness, future projects, and a book review or two, and more. So join me with your knitting and a glass of wine, and enjoy this show. And I said, hey, 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 it's just an ordinary day, and it's all your state of mind. At the end of the day, you just got to say it's alright. It is the 31st of March, 2016, and I have just, today was my first day back at work after six glorious days off. I had Good Friday and Easter Monday off, which gave me a four-day weekend, and then after that I had two days of vacation leave I had to burn before the end of the fiscal year, so I took an additional two days off, which meant a six-day staycation. And... In preparation for my staycation, I made a hugely long list of things to get done. I planned to clean my entire house. I intended to knit everything, to sew everything, and to take very, very many naps. So instead, I got a small amount of done in the house, but I cleaned out my fridge and I've started eating from the freezer, not directly from the freezer, but eating food that I've taken out of my freezer so I can make space in there too. So if I want a little piece of clean... Um, heaven. I just opened my fridge and I hear the angels singing. I also did a little knitting. I did a lot of knitting, but more than that, I did a lot of finishing work. I watched a few craftsy classes and I spent time with my boyfriend. Have I told you about my boyfriend? I'm not sure. We've been dating for just over one year and there are all sorts of wonderfully good things about him. He's kind and intelligent and trustworthy and all of those wonderful things. And he's also very interested in my knitting. He recently asked me to show him how my spinning wheel works, and I've knit him two pairs of socks and a hat. He shows off the items that I've knitted for him with great pride. He takes them to work, he shows them off at work, he shows them to his family. He waxes poetic about my knitting skills to the point where it's a little bit embarrassed. The bad part? Well, it's good and bad. The good part is that he's 6'4", and I like that he's tall. The bad part is that he's 6'4", and has size 12 feet. Which means that hand-knit socks take a very long time to knit, and someday I'm going to have to make him a sweater, and he doesn't have short arms. However, I spent some time with him this weekend. We went to buy him jeans, and then we went over to Ellis Island together. And I'm going to guess that most people haven't been to Ellis Island, although uh, if you're American and you've traveled to New York, there's, there's a chance that you went. Um, you go very down to the, the down to the uh, south end of Manhattan, and then you take the ferry over. But it's the same ferry that goes to Ellis Island that also goes to the Statue of Liberty. It would have been better 
when I got to Ellis Island if I hadn't been so tired of crowds and crowding tourists by the time we arrived. But that being said, despite my minor overwhelmed by humanity, but beyond that, it was very interesting and we took a little tour and I enjoyed the learning part of the day, but I, I really couldn't wait to get off and out of the crowds. Before boarding the boat, that was a little bit of alliteration, they had airport-like security. And I happened to have with me, of course, a number of knitting supplies, and I was stopped by security when they x-rayed my bag. Okay, here we go. I thought that surely they wouldn't be worried about a few knitting needles, because I wasn't going to be on an airplane, and even then they let air airplanes let knitting needles on. So what I was surprised about is they actually pulled out a little bag of circular knitting cables, and they looked at them. And they didn't really understand when I explained that they were for knitting needles, because, well, aren't all knitting needles straight? So I explained some more, and finally security determined that while they were mysterious plastic cords, they were not cables for some sort of explosive device, and so then they let me through. I think they probably talked about the crazy, nitty la crazy knitting lady after that. So other than that, the few shopping trips and the Ellis Island trip, I used this weekend as an opportunity to do take two craftsy classes both of them by Anne Hansen. One of them was finishing hand knits and the other one was button bands and buttonholes. And I did these specifically because I had a project that I needed to finish and do buttons, bands, and buttonholes. And there was a lot in there that I already knew, but there were a few absolute gems that made the price of the course and the time well worthwhile. The courses may have forever changed how I sew in ends and how I measure buttonholes, among a few other things, and I'll get into that a little bit later. All right, so let me now talk to you a little bit about my knitting. Starting with the easiest, the quick and easy, I've been knitting a pair of socks out of Manos del Uruguay Alegria yarn, and it's 75% merino, 25% nylon. The colorway, and I'm sorry, I'm terrible at remembering colorways, but the colorway is on a white background, and then there are short lengths of color here and there. So it's bright and playful and a great way to welcome in spring. I'm knitting them as afterthought heel socks. I have a little trouble with afterthought heel socks because I never quite know when to start the toe in relation to the scrap yarn that I put in for the heel. And because I need a wider toe box, I always need to fiddle with the toe a little bit. This time, I decided I'm going to knit the whole sock without putting in the waist yarn. Uh, knit the sock without the heel and not put in the waist yarn and then I'm going to snip the yarn at the right place and unravel the stitches for the heel. So that way I will have completed the toe and I can measure two and a half in two or two and a half inches back for the depth um, for for snipping the yarn in and putting in the heel. Uh, first I'm knitting both socks as tubes first because I might be running a little low on yarn and while there's likely enough I just don't want to take the chance. So I'm going to finish both socks down to the toe and then I'll go back and add the heel and if I have to add the heel in a different yarn, well, you know, so be it. Another finished project is a second pair of afterthought heel socks. Except I knit these in December and January when I was in Jordan. And when I went to Jordan, I had expected to get so much knitting done. You should have seen the yarn I brought. Well, it was probably eight skeins of fingering weight yarn. So with all that yarn that I brought, I managed one pair of socks. Except, when I got back, all I had left to do was to graft one of the toes. I had already done the heels and everything, and I had to weave in the ends. And, you know, a whopping one, two, three, four ends on each sock. 
So it's been sitting around for months and finally I got around to it. I grafted the toe and woven the ends and ta-da, a new pair of socks. And I love them and they fit beautifully. I knit them out of socks that rock lightweight. The colorway isn't listed since it's a mill end, but it unexpectedly came out as a self-striping yarn and it's delightful. And I'm, I'm very, very pleased with that. So my biggest project and one that I am thrilled to be finished and can't wait to wear is my Charlie's cardigan. And it's a custom fit cardigan designed by Amy Herzog. And I know I've been talking about Amy Herzog a lot, but I'm still on my Amy Herzog uh, hero worshiping binge. So you're going to have to hear about her for a little bit longer. I'm, I was knitting this and I finished knitting it, thankfully, but I knit this out of a tonal sage colored socks that rock medium weight yarn. And yes, I knit a lot with socks that rock. And yes, it is, I believe, my favorite yarn. Uh, this was my first custom fit. And I may have spoken about this before, but let me tell you very briefly about custom fit. It's wonderful. Basically, it's an online tool. You plug in your body measurements and you knit a swatch and you wash your swatch. And then you plug in your swatch information. And the program generates a sweater just for you, a sweater pattern just for you based on your specific measurements and the yarn and gauge you've chosen. So it means perfect fitting sweaters without thinking, without adjusting patterns. So this was the first sweater I ever knit without questioning and without adjusting the pattern. And it worked! So on the Custom Fit website, there are built-in designs as well as a pattern generator where you put in your, your the length, the sleeve, the hem, the style, the neckline preferences, and then and it generates a pattern according to what you've chosen. It usually works out to $12.50 so $12 per pattern, which is more than buying a pattern, but a little bit of extra money for the perfection of the pattern and, and for the personalization of the pattern is wonderful. And then you can also, uh, you can also join. So you can join their, I think they call it the maker. You subscribe and then you get eight patterns. It costs something like $5 a month and you get eight patterns over the course of the year. Or you can become a maker plus, which I think costs $8 a month and you can join for as many or as few months as you would like, and then you can get as many patterns as you like during that time. So I purchased the first pattern separately, and then, so for $12.50, and then I realized that, well, I could join, and even if I only generated one pattern and then canceled my subscription, which I'm not going to do, because I intend to knit all the sweaters, but I could do that and then get the pattern for $8. So it is... I think it's it's worth the money and what you have to do is take careful measurements and you have to measure where your waist sits and where how long your shoulders are and how deep of a an a, an armhole you want and you know a variety of how long you like your sleeves to be but then it comes up with the numbers with the row the 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 row numbers and the length measurements and the stitch counts and it is so easy so have I waxed poetic enough about that? The cardigan that I was knitting, uh, Charlie's cardigan, was a crew neck, mid-hip length, long sleeve, pieced sweater, knit from the bottom up. So I knitted it in five separate pieces, two arms, two fronts, and one back. 
There was a chevron lace pattern on either side of the button band going up either both front sides. And then once you seamed it together, then you knit the collar, which is just a plain ribbed collar, an inch and a half or so, and then the button bands. I started the project a month ago, and I've been working on it and thinking about it nonstop. I just wanted to wear it so badly. And guess what I did last night? I wore it. I was so pleased. So this weekend, I finished knitting the last piece. I knit, and then, oh, and in, in clearly in case... Well, you're interested. I knit the sleeves first because I didn't want to be stuck on Sleeve Island, um, meaning that sometimes people find sleeves boring. So I thought if I take care of those first while I'm enthusiastic, then uh, that would make sense. And then I knit the back and then the fronts, each piece one at a time. I did a long tail tubular cast on, and I'm sure I've spoken about this previously on the podcast because I've done it a couple of times before, and but this time I mastered it. And the long tail tubular cast on is this lovely stretchy cast on that makes it look like a one by one ribbing that doesn't end. So the one by one ribbing goes all the way to the edge, over the edge of the fabric, and so it looks like there is no there's no firm stop um, of a of a cast on edge. It basically takes three steps. You cast on, which is sort of similar to a long tail cast on, and then you do two rows of double knitting. It's really not that hard with a bit of practice, and I highly, highly recommend the Yoselle de Teague instructional video that you can find on her, on her website, on her blog, and I'm, I'm likely never going back. Never going back to what? I don't know, because some, I'm never going back to not having this in my repertoire. <laughs> uh, so once I finished the knitting, I blocked the pieces, I immersed them in water, I let them soak, and then I blocked them. And then by blocked, I mean I laid them out and I, I measured them. I properly blocked them, actually. I, I didn't stretch them so much as I, I measured out based on the schematic and I pinned it so it would be flat to the schematic. Once they were dry, I then started to put the sweater together. So first I joined the shoulder seams using mattress stitch. And in fact, I used mattress, mattress stitch for every seam that I put together. Then I knit the collar ribbing and then the button bands. I went down a needle size for those because I wanted to be sure that they would lay flat and wouldn't flare. And I I know that with time, especially a button band can sometimes stretch a little bit out of shape. So I wanted something that would be a little bit firm. I found that it was easier to do that knitting without the sleeves getting in the way. So I did that before I set in my sleeves. After I did the button band and the collar, I then set in the sleeve caps and my final seams were up the sides of the body and down the underside of the sleeves, and I did that all in one seam. I pinched, pinned each side together before seamings by seaming by using locking stitch markers. That gave me the confidence to know I was sewing the pieces together evenly, because it, there is a possibility that if you're not paying attention and you haven't pinned it or, or linked it together in any way, that you can sew along and then have two inches of one piece by the time you reach the end of the other, and that would require you to pull out the seam and start again. I used, from, from, the, from the, the crafty classes that I took, I used Anne Hansen's idea of steaming each seam after sewing it to make it lay flatter and to make the next seam easier to line up. And so, so after steaming, it felt like, after steaming and seaming, it felt like, whew, I was close to being done, but actually I wasn't. <laughs> because then came the grosgrain ribbons, the buttons, and weaving in ends. So I had bought my grosgrain ribbon and thread from M&J Trimmings, and that is a relatively well-known 
haberdashery type place in New York. They have they have buttons, they have ribbons, they have buckles, they have all sorts of beads and anything that you would expect to find in say a trimming store or a haberdashery. Um, I actually managed to find the perfectly colored grosgrain ribbon, which surprised me a lot because I've never had that kind of success with in terms of color matching. So was very pleased, and then I also got a thread that matched perfectly. And so the grosgrain ribbon, um, I had it and I was ready to use it. Uh, but first, let me tell you all about my buttons. I had bought my buttons. I bought my buttons from Lulu Buttons also in New York. It's a store in the Garment District. And it looks like it's been there a good long time. It's narrow, but both walls are absolutely filled with boxes of buttons. Lou, or I assume that's his name because the place is called Lulu, but who knows? It could be any other name. He had some strong opinions about buttons. So this is not the first time I've been in there, but he seems to forget who I am every time. And um, Lou tends to lecture me, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it, honestly. So Lou's rules. Let me tell you about his rules for, for my sweater. I brought in a finished, I brought in some of the finished pieces so we could match color, and also I brought in uh, the picture of the sweater, the pattern picture, so he could look at it, or so I could look at it. So the pattern called for nine buttons, and Lou said with in no uncertain terms that nine buttons were far too many and would draw too much attention to the button band, which he then demonstrated by staring at my bust. Yeah. And then he said a maximum of six would be better, but that preferably five or fewer would be even better. Maybe, maybe maximum of six was really the firm, um, except I went with nine, and he did not approve. He said he felt very strongly that buttons should not perfectly match the fabric. They should complement the fabric, but they should not match in color, and that that's something people come in and they're looking for a perfect match, and they're wrong. I was not looking for a perfect match, just putting it out there. The original size buttons I bought, and they may have been three-quarter of an inch? I don't remember. But the original size, the ones that, uh, the, ones that the pattern called for, um, he warned me to get smaller ones because those were going to be too big and they would look funny on my sweater. Well, it turns out that they actually were too big, but they were too big for the buttonholes and not too big for the visual effect. But we'll get to that. He also said the buttons should be sewn on with a thread that's the same color, but a slightly darker shade than the button itself. And he said, that is how you know that a garment, garment is of a high quality and that thought has been put into it. By the thread color choice, obviously. I did yarn over buttonholes and those in the end, because I, had, I was aiming for firm buttonholes, they ended up being too small for my buttons. So I had to go back to Lulu buttons and exchange my larger ones for one size down. So Lou made sure to say I told you so about the button size. And then he seemed personally insulted when he saw nine rather than six buttonholes on my sweater. He's hilarious, and I'll be back there to buy buttons for my next cardigan. It still feels like a bit of a stretch to get the smaller buttons through the hole, so I'm hoping that I don't end up running into trouble uh, with worn-through yarn at the buttonholes. But I'll just pay attention, and I can reinforce the buttonholes with extra yarn if I see them wearing through. So the question of how did I space the buttonholes? And that I 
used another technique that I learned from one of the two Anne Hansen classes, and this is the elastic buttonhole measuring trick. So, I've always, I've never enjoyed measuring out my buttonholes because it involves figuring out where your top button's going to go, where your bottom button's going to go. It's actually not that hard. The math is not that hard, but it's still, it takes time and it takes some calculating. So, and, and knit fabric is, is stretchy, it's elastic, so sometimes it's a little tricky to figure out the exact spacing and the, the exact um, the measurements. So, her trick is to take sewing elastic, something not too thick, so you don't want anything that's too firm. I used white elastic that was about a quarter inch wide. And then you mark the elastic at regular intervals. So I marked mine every one and a half inches, and I used a Sharpie. Then you decide how many buttonholes you want. I knew that I wanted nine, despite Lou's assertion, so I counted nine marks on my elastic. I lay my button band, so the knit button band, out onto the blocking mark, mat, either the, the well, actually what I did, yes, I knit, I knit one side without the buttonholes, and then, so I lay out the side, I knew I needed to sew my buttonhole, not sew, my goodness, I needed to knit my buttonhole, so I lay out the, the finished portion, or whatever, I, I lay it out, and I pinned it down onto, I took some of my blocking mats, and I placed them just on a firm surface, so I put mine on the, on my uh, ironing board. And then I lay my knitted piece flat, and I pinned through the knitted piece into the blocking board so I would have it firm in place and not jiggling around. Then I pinned the mark number one, so the, the, the first mark on the elastic, I pinned it down to the spot where I wanted my top button to go. Then I stretched the elastic so that the ninth mark fell exactly where I wanted the bottom button to go, and I pinned that down. And so then all of the shoppy marks in between, that's where my other buttonholes were to go. And I simply placed locking stitch markers in each of the spots where there was a sharpie, sharpie mark on the elastic, so I placed them on my yarn, or on, on the knitted sweater, at each point, and then I knew that that was a spot to place my buttonholes and my buttons. So very easy. The key to making this work, it's very, very easy. You need an elastic that's stretchy enough, so nothing too stiff. Something white in color or, or not too dark, because then you can mark it with a Sharpie. And you want to make sure to place your marks on the elastic closer together than your buttons will end up, but not by too much. So if your buttons will likely be around two inches apart, then maybe mark your elastic every one and a half inches. If you place your markers, your marks too close together, then it could be a challenge to get the elastic to stretch that far. And oh my goodness, it worked so well, and it was very easy. And I intend to use this technique for sewing also, just to, you know, pin it at the top part, stretch it to pin it at the bottom part, and then just each button goes on one of the, the spaces in between. Um, okay. Other techniques that I used. How I sewed on my grosgrain ribbon. So I pinned down, once I was done all of the knitting, I had knit my buttonholes, and I sewed grosgrain ribbon behind, not the, the button band, not the one with the buttonholes, but the other part. So the half of the button, the portion of the button band that usually falls, I think it's on the right hand side, the one where you sew the buttons to. And I put grosgrain ribbon behind it so that there's a firm surface to sew the buttons onto through the knitted fabric. Because otherwise, if you sew buttons onto knitted fabric and the button pulls, then the knitting itself or the yarn that it's attached to will pull and it can distort the fabric. And it's not very solid. 
So first I pinned down the button band on my blocking mats, my blocking mats that were on top of my ironing board. And, and by pinning it down on the top and the bottom and in between, I made it nice and straight and I prevented it from moving around when I sewed. Then I pinned the grosgrain ribbon on top of the button band and then right through the knitted fabric into the blocking board. So that was nice and firm and in place. And that was quick and easy. And then I sewed, which was not quick and easy, I sewed in teeny tiny tiny little stitches all the way, all the way around. Before I did that, I finished, I prevented the grosgrain ribbon from fraying. I took a little match and I just melted the end with a match. And then I tucked it under so it would be, th so that the, because once it melts, it gets a little hard at the edges. So I tucked it under and then sewed it, tucked under so I wouldn't feel that, that scratchy bit. Um, then I was able to remove the sweater from the blocking board and sew on the buttons. Um, the buttons themselves had two holes. So most buttons either have a shank, one, two holes, or four holes. So these were two hole buttons and there was no shank. But I wanted to make sure that there, the buttons were lifted off the, off the height of the sweater so that there would be room behind the buttons for the buttonhole fabric. So if it's squished too much into or too hard into the knitted fabric, then it's going to be hard to get the button holes to, once you button them to get them to lie flat. So I wanted to create a little bit of distance or I wanted to create a shank. So the way I do it, is that I placed a little matchstick under my button between the knitted fabric on the button band and the button itself, and then I sewed the button on. Sometimes I use backing buttons, so sometimes I use a small plastic clear plastic button on the other side of the grosgrain ribbon, and that really creates a nice, solid, um, durable button placement. But my buttons are relatively small, and they're in a light material and um, the the sweater itself because it's custom fit it doesn't gape at the front so there's not a lot of pressure on the buttons so I didn't feel like I needed the the backing buttons for that um, but what happens is that I so then I sewed on the buttons with the little matchstick under the button and then I was able to slide the matchstick out once I was done sewing on the button, and then wrap thread around the space, the thread, so that you have the thread going vertically um, through into the button and through the button button band and grosgrain ribbon, and then there's that little space in between the button and the, the knitted fabric. So I was able to wrap the thread around and around and around that space in between, which created a shank. And then I secured it and tied it, and then there's that little space that's enough room for the the yarn, the knitted fabric, to go when I button it up. So that looked that looks good. Um, so I had also alternated skeins to make sure that there would be no yarns where I had changed yarn and when I was knitting the fabric. And what that meant was that I had many, many, many ends to weave in. I didn't count, but something like 50. I took a picture. I could count in the picture. Because it's a seamed cardigan, there were even more yarn tails. Some knitters like to use the yarn tail, so they finish knitting and then they leave a long tail before they cut the yarn, and they like to use that tail for seaming, but I don't like doing that. Because what if I have to take the seam out? Or what if I weaken or break the yarn in the seam while I'm taking it out? Or what if the yarn isn't connected? If... 
If the yarn isn't connected to your knitting, then you can always choose to cut it or pull it out and then seam with new yarn. If your yarn tail is connected to your knitting, then fiddling with the seams is a bigger risk and a bigger risk that you might cut it at a spot where it, you don't have enough yarn to then um, sew in the end. So I prefer to have a couple more ends to sew in, but to have independent seams, seams that are independent from the knitted fabric. Um, I sewed in my ends using a method that I learned in the Anne Hansen Craftsy classes. It's quick and it works really well. So instead of actually weaving yarn in and out or duplicate stitching on the back of the fabric, which is what I normally do, um, you actually run your yarn tail through stitches on the back of the fabric, splitting the yarn. So just in a vertical you go, depending on whether it's stockinette or or garter stitch, but basically you just run it, you split the yarn going through the stitches and then you do a little U-turn and then you go back a few stitches, not directly back through the same stitches, but through the ones directly beside it. So you, it's, it's kind of a backwards, well, kind of like a J shape. And then you snip your end and you live just a little bit, maybe a, an eighth, maybe more than an eighth of an inch, probably about like a quarter of an inch or maybe an eighth of an inch. You leave a little bit of tail and then you take that and you fray it with the end of your, your needle so that there's a little bit sticking out and then it fans open and that because it fans open then it won't it's less likely to back up and slip back through and it's also more likely to felt and so the end will just kind of felt into the the fabric and it'll really be very solid um and it would have been very quick and very easy had i not had about a billion ends to sew in so each end was quick and easy but the billions of ends were not pleasant to sew in, but they're done. And this sweater is done. I know I talked about it a lot. There was so much finishing. And when I finished the finishing after two days straight of working on it, I, I thought, oh my goodness, I don't know that I can do this again. And then six hours later, I, I picked a new sweater and um, measured my swatch and, and <laughs> generated a new custom fit sweater. So, but I want to adjust it a little bit before I actually jump in and knit it. Essentially, I just want to, um, check my measurements to make sure that it, it's going to fit nicely. And with that, let's move on to the next section. Also during my weekend off, I did some sewing. Actually, no, I intended to do some sewing and I didn't actually do much, or any. I really don't have much to report. I pre-washed fabric, and that fabric in fact to sew four dresses, one to two pair of pants, one shirt, and uh, I started tracing the pattern for one dress as well. I went to Mood Fabrics after going to the button store. I did that on Thursday. And most people are familiar with Mood Fabrics in New York. It's the it's the fabric store that's featured on Project Runway. They have beautiful fabrics, but the staff are often, let's say, unavailable to help. They're there, and they're willing to help people who know exactly what they want. And some of them are very nice, but the general attitude is that they're not there to hold your hand. And I need a little bit of hand-holding when it comes to garment fabric choice. I don't know enough to confidently make the decision without 
asking someone who knows more for a little bit of help. So I went in with my pattern, and it was a pattern for a dress that I wanted to make, and I had hoped to have someone steer me in the right direction. And someone did. It's just that she was the fifth person that I asked for help. And one of them who came before her, I actually was a, believe was either the manager or the owner. I wanted a woven fabric, because that's what the pattern called for. I wanted something that was relatively easy to work with, so not silk, that wouldn't wrinkle like crazy, so not linen, and that would have some drape to it. In the end, the woman who helped me suggested an absolutely lovely muted red chambray, and I was thrilled, but it just took a really long time to get to that point. I also bought some knit fabric to make into more formal-looking yoga pants. I'm hoping they end up looking good enough that I can wear them as daytime pants and that they don't look too sporty, but I'm not quite ready to start sewing them yet. So all I did was pre-wash the fabric, and now I'm intending to ignore it for a little while. I have a pile of sewing patterns from the pattern designer Sewaholic. Uh, Sewaholic is a blog and uh, independent pattern design company. Uh, Tasia or Tazia, the woman behind it is based in British Columbia and she designs kind of timeless and comfortable patterns for pear-shaped women. And Tazia is also on Ravelry. She also knits and she knits some herself some vintage-inspired, absolutely lovely sweaters. And um, it's... I've was actually browsing patterns and I came across one and I said, I think that's the Sewaholic woman. And, and sure enough, it was. Anyway, so not only are her patterns fitted for pear-shaped women, but they're also in styles that are flattering for pear-shaped women. And after some recent soul-searching and looking at pictures of myself and measuring pictures of myself, I've determined that I am indeed pear-shaped. But not to the extreme, but I, I thought I was hourglass, but I'm actually pear-shaped. Um, but enough that the patterns, patterns that are written for pear-shaped women and that are designed to flatter the shape are, um, are, good, for my, are good for me. So when I make a pattern, when, I, when I'm going to sew a pattern, I don't like cutting into the actual pattern tissue. So if you're not a sewist or sewer, um, which I find a little funny that... The, the title sewer is spelled in the same way as sewer, so every time I read someone who calls themselves a sewer, I read it as sewer, and I find it amusing. <laughs> anyway, it comes printed on very, very thin tissue, and you can, and, the, and then you can cut out your size, so all the sizes are printed on the tissue, and then you cut out around the line for your size, and then you can pin that to your fabric. But the tissue is very thin, and also once you cut it, then what if you cut the wrong size and want to try a size up? Or what if you want to make the same pattern for someone else later? Or what if I want to make it for me again but make some adjustments? And so it's I'm always tentative to cut the to to cut the um, the tissue, especially for a pattern, um, well, a pattern that I didn't get in the bargain bin, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, so what I do is I buy rolls of craft paper, which is essentially brown paper on a roll. And then I tape the pattern tissue to my back balcony window, since there's a, a kind of an expanse of glass there and a lot of light that shines through. And then I tape some craft paper, so, you know, that's quite wide and tall, and I, and I tape a piece of craft paper right on top. And then with the light shining through, I can then trace the pattern size that I want and all the pattern markings onto the craft paper. And then I can cut out the pattern using the craft paper. It's firmer and more durable. And then I can tuck the 
delicate tissue pattern away safely and save it should I need it again. I also love having craft paper around for other reasons. I buy it on Amazon for not much money and then depending on the size of the roll and the, the width of the roll, I spend anywhere between $20 and $50 usually and it lasts a really, really long time. I use it as wrapping paper, so I wrap things in brown paper and then I decorate them with scrapbook paper or with ribbons or with nothing. And I just hand someone a gift in brown paper. Um, I tie it up with string and then it's one of my favorite things. Um, but I'm sure that there are all sorts of other uses, but I just can't think of them right now. Anyways, I, I really like it. And then, speaking of mood fabric, let me get into my celebrity sighting for the week. I actually don't cite a celebrity every week, so but let's call it my celebrity sighting for a week. Two days after going to mood, so on Saturday, I was walking home from the train with my boyfriend, and we crossed the street, headed towards, like, directly in front of my block, and we crossed the street, and I saw a very well-dressed man coming towards me, and his appearance, he was very dapper, it caught my eye. And I must have been staring, because it was a Saturday morning, and it was not particularly... Well, most people are casual, and so it was a little unusual, and I'm in a residential area, so it's a little unusual to see someone so dressed up so nicely in a suit. And I must have been staring because he smiled and nodded at me when he walked by. And I did a double take, and then turned to my boyfriend and says, and said, Was that? And he answered, Yeah, that was Tim Gunn. And it was! It was such a coincidence, and it was very cool. I was obviously excited about the experience. I didn't say anything to him, but we exchanged. He he understood. We bonded. He looked at me. We bonded. But I was obviously excited about the experience because I dreamt about it later that night. Well, when I was asleep that night, I dreamt that I passed Tim Gunn on the street and that we started chatting. And it turns out, and I hadn't realized, but he was a person I had been paying to give my dog Spanish lessons during the day when I was at work. The thing is, I don't know what was more strange about the dream that I didn't realize that Tim Gunn was my dog's tutor, or that my dog was learning Spanish. Mr. bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him two lips like roses and clover. Alright, a couple of future projects in mind, and let me just tell you what I'm thinking, because I have been spending a lot of time thinking about my knitting lately, because I always spend a lot of time thinking about my knitting. I have another custom-fit sweater already swatched. I cast on, but I'm thinking I'm going to pull it out and cast on again on smaller needles, because I really want to make sure that bottom ribbing is is tight enough, and that it's, it's not... Um, I don't want I I like bottom ribbing to anchor my sweater. So not super clingy, but a couple inches of negative ease. So I'm going to, maybe I'll adjust my measurements a little bit in order to get that. Melanie mentioned that she wanted to knit this, the shawl Sophia. And please forgive me if I mispronounce the designer's name, but by Robin Ulrich, or Ulrich. It's a wide, shallow triangle shawl. The body is striped, and it's knit in garter stitch. And then there's a pretty eyelet border and a deep ribbed ruffle. And the ruffle isn't striped, but the, the body of the shawl is. And if I get this podcast done before bedtime, which I'm not so sure that I will, but I intend to go digging in my stash to find yarn. And then we are doing a sister knitting knit-along. 
So Melody wanted to knit it. It's a pattern that I already owned and had already identified as one that I really, really liked. And so I thought, what a great excuse, and we can do a sister knit along. Certainly, you're welcome to knit with us as well. But I thought maybe it would be fun, A, for me to knit it, because I like it, B, for her to knit it, because she likes it, C, for me to knit it and not have her steal it, because she will have one of her own, and D, for you to... Are we up to D? Anyways, D, for you to hear both of our perspectives on knitting the same, the same shawl. And I need to pick yarn soon, because if she's going to start soon, I can't have her be way ahead of me. It's a knit-along, so we have to do it along. And that's what I have in mind. I have a, a sock to finish, and I don't know. Uh, there's a... Uh, I don't know what else. I have some travel coming up, a trip home at the end of April, so maybe I'll, I'll have other knitting in mind then. But so far, a sweater, socks, and a shawl is more than enough to keep me busy. I'm not a million projects on the needles kind of person. I'm, I'm fairly monogamous. I have, I really have a hard time concentrating, devoting myself to more than one or two projects at a time. So there we go with that. books to review for you today. The first one is called Unexpected Cables, Feminine Knitted Garments Featuring Modern Cable Knitting. It is, the author is Heather Zopetti, and it is published by Interweave Press. And I made notes about this a little bit of, a little while ago. It retails US for $24.99 and Canadian for $27.99. And with the current exchange rate, that sounds like a pretty good deal in Canadian dollars. It's published by Interweave in 2015, and it is divided into three chapters. The first one is called Refined, the next one is Lace, and the third is Abstract. So, Refined. The patterns are delicate and beautiful, and they use lightweight yarn. There's a scarf in there with a ruffle edge, a shallow triangle. There's a Maytown vest with a wide center cable design and plaid sides and plain back. A tam with tiny twisted cables weaving from the brim to the crown on the background of a reverse stockinette stitch. The reams pullover, which is a wide cowl neck sweater with subtle all-over cables that look like leaves. And I put a star next to that one, so let me find that. That one for you. Sorry, this is... There we go. Ooh, that one is pretty. Too bad it uses cables, because I don't like doing cables. <laughs> General's cowl neck and a long sleeve pullover. It's more of a textured fabric than, um, than it doesn't look like deep cables. They look, they look very, um, very delicate. There are socks with twisted stitches and a sculptured calf gusset and a scalloped cuff and another pullover with all over cables. Now let me say, and I've said this before and I will continue to say this, I don't really enjoy or at all enjoy knitting cables. I find them fiddly and I don't know why I like knitting lace and I don't cables, but so be it. So almost nothing in this book is going to be something that I knit, but there's plenty in here that I would wear. And uh, well, there's some stuff in here that I would wear and some, st some stuff that I, I don't like so much. 
but I do indeed like this reams pullover. The section number two is lace, so it obviously combines lace and cables. And in here we have arm warmers and a lacy tunic and a stole with diaphanous yarn and it looks like wave mixed with twists. There's a Talmage pullover. Let me see if I can find that in here. My apologies for the delay. I've been thinking about... Here we go. This one's pretty. So this one is worked in pieces from the bottom up. It's a raglan style and with feminine all over cable lace pattern. And it's a solid plain sleeves are reminiscent of the classic baseball tee. And turned hems and a simple ribbed collar keep things clean and simple. It is, it's raglan, but the sleeves don't come, it's not a sharp angle that the sleeves come in on. So I like it. I don't know how much waist shaping there is. I should see cable and lace. Oh, there is waist shaping. That's good. Cause sweaters look better with waist, waist shaping for women at least. Uh, simple, quick and easy cowl and worsted weight, and a vest with, that's essentially round with uh, sleeve holes. That's how I described it, is round with sleeve holes, so. Oh, I see. It's actually a circle. A circle sweaters flatter all body types. Um, the circle vest begins with the center with a shawl cast on, which grows to a larger flower medallion. Its edge features a reversible cable, so there's no wrong side when the collar is folded over. Not my style. I'm trying not to be mean. Maybe someone else could make it work. Finally, we have chapter three, which is abstract. So modern edgy cables and garments with unexpected construction worked sideways, asymmetrically, or from the top down. We have socks with cables that swirl around the ankle. We have heavyweight dolman T-shape without much or any shaping. A cloche hat, hat with a diminishing cable towards the cap. And a vest with uh, asymmetrical cabled collar, wide pointy ribbed panel down the right hand side, shrug and a scarf, another pullover with cables that bloom and grow from the right shoulder and they grow in width as it travels down the body. Overall, there are 18 items, 18 patterns in here total, and I kept a tally of ones that I like. Um, of ones that I like, I identified 7 out of the 18. Items that I might knit, I ticked off three, but then I wrote, remember, I don't like knitting cables. And my recommendation for this book is look at the patterns first, see if you like them, and then buy the book if the patterns appeal to you, but they may not appeal to everyone. Because there are some items in here that I absolutely would not even consider wearing, let alone making, and other ones that, um, three of them that I like enough to suggest that I might even consider doing some cable work. Maybe. Anyways, this was Unexpected Cables, Feminine... Feminine Knitted Garments Featuring Modern Cable Knitting by Heather Zopetti and published by Interweave. All right, let me put away my notes for that one. And we're going to move on to New Lace Knitting by Rosemary or Romy Hill. And it is called Designs for Wide Open Spaces. But the book is actually, that's the subtitle, but the book is New Lace Knitting. And it is another Interweave Press book. It is published by Interweave 2015, US $24.99, Canadian $27.99. I know Romy Hill Designs from Rav and I've Ravelry, Ravelry and I've subscribed to her Seven Small Shawls ebook for at least three years. 
Um, her lace shawls are generally intricate, complex, multicolor, or constructed in new or unique ways. I have a lot of respect for her. I don't always have the brain power to knit what she designs, but I certainly like a great, great majority of what she makes. Um, but she's also designed other garments or accessories, and most of them involve lace in one way or another. And remember, I do like knitting lace, although sometimes my brain can't handle it. All right, so let's go through my notes. I was very excited when this book came out, and in fact, it was something that um, from the very first day I kind of had my eye on. There's six chapters and three to four patterns in each chapter. So the chapters are Waves and Ripples, Diamond Fantasia, Leaf and Trellis, Twin Leaves, Wind and Shore, and Twining Lilies. I see three cardigans, three cowls, five shawls, two t-shirts, one shell, a flounce, a scarf, a cloche, a pull, or maybe that means pullover, a slouch, and a wrap. The sweaters range in sizes from 20, 32, bust sizes from 32 inches to 50 inches, some of them and other ones from 34 inches to 56 inches. And so if you are smaller or larger than those measurements, then the sweater patterns might not be for you. I counted, there are four times six, so 24. There were probably 11 patterns that I don't like as much, but there are so many patterns that I love in this. And I've identified a few here to talk about. I have on page 21. Oh, that's pretty. This is the Gentle Sky Cowl, and it says everyone has or should have a special ball or skein of luxurious decadence. Mine is a blend of caveat and silk. It sits in my studio in all of its soft perfection, and sometimes I take a few minutes to stroke it fondly. This simple cowl is designed to take advantage of your special ball. Repeat the last chart, chart until you're almost out of yarn so you can use every last precious inch. And so it is this beautiful, lacy, lightweight cowl in a pretty lacy design, and I actually, I know what yarn I want to use to knit that one, actually. Page 33, we have the Manzanita tea. And so this is a three, oh my goodness, it's so pretty and feminine. Oy. Okay, another sweater I need to make. This one, a simple chevron pattern is isolated from the overall lace stitch featured in this chapter to give you a new style to a simple yoke pullover. The soft neckline can be worn flat or as a cowl, enhancing the pattern and making an unusual eye-catching statement. The tee is perfect with jeans or office attire. The body is worked from the top down and features waist shaping and pico hem edges. And it's pretty and feminine and uh, lacy in the, the clavicle upper bust area so you don't see too much, but you have that really pretty feminine detail. I really like that too. We have a funnel neck shell. Oh, I like that too. Um, it has an all-over lace pattern, and there's wonderful drape and movement to this. Um, a fluid lacy material adds folds to drape beautifully around the neckline and frame the face. This style, now that I'm looking at it, while it's very pretty, I'm not so sure that the funnel neck is, is good for, for me. I'm not so sure that that would be a flattering look. Last item that I'm going to talk about is a matching cloche cowl. It's done in a ran yarn with a twin leaf pattern. In the cloche pattern, you have a stockinette stitch brim. A uh, horizontal lace pattern going kind of around is the band, and then and then the regularly shaped crown of it. 
And then the both items are needed at different gauge, so you get more drape than needed for the cowl and more structure that you need for the cloche. And I know I didn't describe it well, but uh, just take my word for it, it's quite pretty. It's called Virginia City Cloche and Cowl. Most projects are at a finer gauge, but are stunning, timeless, flattering, and attractive. This is what I've written, my notes. And then I would definitely recommend this book, and I would definitely feel it offers good value for money. So this one is a to-buy. If you're, if you like lace knitting, this is, this is, this is a book. This is a book to get. This is New Lace Knitting by Romy Hill and published by Interweave Press. I wonder, wonder who, 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 who wrote the book out loud. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Savvy Girls Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you join me. In our next episode, it will either be me or Melanie or the two of us. Hopefully we'll be talking about knitting. Hopefully there will be progress in our knitting. But either way, we will be back. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us through our website at www.savvygirls.ca. That's S-A-V-V-Y-G-I-R-L-S dot C-A. You can also find us on Ravelry. I am Savvy Girl Deborah, and Melanie is Savvy Girl Melanie. I'm on Instagram. I am Savvy.Girl.Debra. We are on Facebook as the Savvy Girls Podcast. We are on Twitter as Savvy Girls PCast. And that might cover it oh you can email us did i say this already you can email us at podcast at savvygirls.ca and until next time tend to your knitting kitten